Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is that time we sit back, we relax, and we have a few martinis. Normally, Greg is here, Mr. Corumbus. He's off. I am Chad Benson, but always Jim Garrity here. National Review, and it's always great to have him. Of course, we've got our good, we've got our bad, we've got our crazy. We shall start with the good. And the good is what a lot of people, uh, you know, I mean, you're looking at the polling numbers, and you're saying, hey, this looks this looks great if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're frustrated, because the whole SCOTUS thing, Amy Coney Barrett, all of that stuff, but the polling numbers are saying, you know what, uh, we might just want to get this done. Yeah, uh, you know, last week, uh, Morning Consult, a pretty darn reliable pollster, came out with numbers uh, that looked pretty good for Amy Coney Barrett. It was, you know, about 46% saying, yes, she should be confirmed, and 31% saying, no, she should not be confirmed. It's been a week later, they've updated their numbers, and lo and behold, it's now 48%, a slight improvement. Uh, Number of people opposed remains the same at 31%. I think one of the things that jumped out at me is that the uh, that, that Barrett had surprised in an era where things are really polarized and you see things splitting like 90, 10 uh, within particular self-identified Republicans and self-identified Democrats. Um, last week, 24% of Democrats believed that uh, Barrett should be confirmed, which is a nice surprising number. And now it's up to 27%. So now it's kind of a quarter of Democrats now think, Barrett should be confirmed. That's really good. Also, for the the arg- Democrats have been really pushing this argument that this uh, this is you know somehow legitimate that this should not happen. Wait until after the election, uh, like we did for uh, uh, Merrick Garland. Uh, if, if Trump wins re-election, fine, confirm him. Otherwise, let the new Senate, the new president, nominate someone. Forty four percent of respondents say just confirm her as soon as possible, regardless of who wins the election. 36% say it should be only be if Trump wins re-election. And those numbers have moved a few points in the past couple of weeks in the direction for Republicans. So on the Supreme now Court the peop- front, numbers are very good. Now that people have seen her, and I've got a, co- a lot of my friends, I've got friends that are uber progressive. I grew up in Los Angeles, and most of my best friends are very progressive and, and to the left of the aisle. And, and one of them said to me yesterday, Jim, uh, you know, I watched her, and it's hard, you know, I, I don't have to agree with her politics, but it's hard not to, to, to like her because she's more than competent, and she doesn't seem like a crazy partisan hack. She seems like a brilliant, smart, legal lady. Yeah, and she's very cool, calm, and collected. Uh, and I think a lot of people, it's, a lot of Republicans would say, exceptionally patient when subjected to some pretty darn hostile uh, questioning from Senate Democrats. It's a confirmation hearing, of course. There's supposed to be critical questions uh, and tough questioning, but other than a handful, maybe Feinstein and Chris Coons, uh, some of them have been ridiculously hostile and you know mostly just diatribes with a question or two tacked on at the end. Uh, she, look, she's doing a fantastic job in this. And I, it just says, you know, you don't have to be a liberal or progressive to look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and say, wow, she had a really impressive life and a really impressive person, even if you disagree with a whole bunch of her decisions. I'd like to think that folks on the left could look at Amy Coney Barrett and say, OK, she's not going to rule decisions. I don't think she's likely to rule in decisions the way I want, but she's a very impressive person in an era where everybody seems to struggle with work-life balance she seems like she's been an exceptional judge, exceptional law professor, and done this while raising you know, seven children. And this, so you know, it seems like one in four Democrats can at least have that sensibility of liking her and not opposing her, even if they don't necessarily agree with every last legal decision she's ever reached.
Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, host of the Sarah Carter Podcast. Everywhere you look these days, we're seeing an aggressive effort to destroy what made America great, tearing down our history, attacking our freedoms, and canceling any person who dares to cross the progressive speech police. We cannot stand by and let this happen. It's time for the silent majority to become the unsilent majority. Join me on the Sarah Carter Podcast. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the good of our martinis to the bad, we touched on it a bit yesterday, but it's uh, it's not the actions, but in many ways it's the attitude that is, is costing Trump, especially with uh, suburban, white, educated women, which... You need if you're going to win some of these swing states. Yeah, the, the news hook I'll use for this martini is from our old friend, former National Review writer for about a year or so, Tim Alberta, now with Politico, and he does a long look at Michigan. That's his, his old home state. And he talks about, you know, Trump is in trouble in Michigan. He points out you're seeing similar effects in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. But there's one quote from one uh, he talks about focus groups. He talks about, you know, and, and there's just two quotes that jump out at me um, in this article he has over at Politico. First is, quote, honestly, all the moms I know, we're really nervous about our kids, what kind of future they're going to have. And Trump is the one making me nervous. Jessica Morshikov, a 30-year-old ballet studio owner, told me in the wealthy, ultra-conservative township of Brighton. He's just so angry all the time. I really believe that he brings out the worst in people, the worst in situations. And then one paragraph down, he says, in this sentiment from this voting demographic, it's echoing all across Michigan, especially in its rich white suburbs. Even voters who describe themselves as single issue pro-life Republicans, just as uh, such as Karen Kudla, have said they're giving up on Trump. I cannot in good conscience vote to keep this man in the White House, Kudla told me in Lake Orion. This is a really bad indicator. And I kind of believe that if this was simply a straight up you didn't have names on the policies. If you simply listed the Trump administration's policies and you listed the, Bi- the policies that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to enact, I think Trump would win, or at minimum, this would be a much, much closer race. I, I think Trump's policies are much more popular than Trump the man is. And you could say, well, people shouldn't vote that way. Uh, but in the end, the policies of a presidency and administration are what matter the most. It's not, you know, personality doesn't matter. Temperament doesn't matter. Even if he seems to treat people badly or always seems to be raging on Twitter and such, that shouldn't matter. Well, it does. You don't have to like it, but that is the fact. And this has been pretty clear for several years now. And I think that, you know, you could make a case for even on the pandemic. We talked yesterday about the enormous progress we're seeing on the Operation Warp Speed, this effort to bring a functioning, working uh, uh, vaccine to as many Americans as possible, probably going to start in January, and possibly by the middle of next year, the pandemic will be gone. That's a Trump administration initiative, right? Trump himself could be talking about this. Trump could be you know, going out and doing updates on this all the time instead of doing his, you know, what he did with the, uh, uh, the coronavirus pandemic briefings at the White House. Yesterday, he started tweeting angrily about Fauci because Fauci was complaining, I think very justifiably, that he was appearing, that footage of him was appearing in Trump campaign ads. And Dr. Fauci does not want to get involved in partisan politics and does not want to get involved in, in campaign ads one way or the other. You know, this guy's instincts, he just, it, he just picks the worst possible argument all the time. He wants his closing argument to be, uh, who are you going to believe, me or Anthony Fauci? And, and you know, he, he could be making a much stronger case for himself. He, he, he talks about the stakes of this election being so important. 
And then he won't make the decisions that could help him win this election. It is extraordinarily frustrating if you believe the conservative cause. All is not lost. We don't know how this is going to shake out. But in these focus groups, in these quotes from these women like this, you see votes that could be, you know, could be easily be won with just a minimum of effort. And he cannot make that effort. It's, it's crazy, Jim. I, I sit here and I, and I think, I don't know which way it's going to go. But what I do know is I think a lot of people think that just because you have a lot of people in the crowd somewhere that he's magically they're going to show up. But so many people are early voting. And what won him the last election really was late voters breaking for him in massive ways. I don't know if we have that. We've got four years of him now. Mm -hmm. Is it a case where we've had enough drama and a lot of people are like, I just it's time to move on? Yeah, I, I think exhaustion is a sentiment that is in the electorate this cycle. It's been a very dramatic four years, even before the pandemic. But I think you could look at the pandemic. You could look at the economic numbers. You could look at the job unemplo- low unemployment rate. You could look at wage growth. And you could make a really strong case for this administration getting another four years. With the pandemic, it's tougher. The economic boom stopped and we're, we're climbing back. And we've had some good numbers on that front, but we're still got a long ways to go. Obviously, people are still living with the uh, the pandemic and various stages of lockdown and life is, you know, but the irony, we, we talked earlier this week, Trump is, a, if you ask people, are you better off now than you were four years ago? We said it was what, 56, 57% yesterday? By those yeah. numbers, Trump should be way ahead. And he's not. And I think it's a largely because of his personality and the way he goes off on these tirades and his narcissism and, and all this stuff. And so, like, what, Trump may lose. He may win. It's possible. But, you know, if he loses, one of the things that will have so many people kicking themselves is how this, this could have turned out quite differently if the president had just changed just a little bit in some of these most glaring weaknesses, and he just couldn't. Oh, our third and final martini today. It's crazy indeed. We've heard about, you know, the registration's up. Look at what's going on in the voter world. We've had, what, almost 11 million people that have already early voted. You're talking about 7 million people. I mean, seven-hour waits in Georgia to, to vote, eight-hour waits here. Uh, but there's a crazy headline, and it's one of those things that you get, because as we all know, it's more about the headline than what's actually you're, – you're selling the sizzle, not the steak, and it's about voter registration. Yeah, so today's Morning Jolt newsletter is all about uh, predictions of huge turnout this year. Um, now, it's worth noting four years ago, there was predictions of huge, of huge turnout, and the turnout was pretty good. By the way, there's like a couple different ways you can measure turnout. You can do absolute numbers. You can do the percentage of registered voters. You can do the percentage of voting age population. Um, not everybody who's of voting age is registered to vote. Not everybody who's voting of age is eligible to vote because of prison sentences and stuff, stuff like that. So um, it depends on how you measure it. And it's worth noting that four years ago, turnout was pretty good. It was better than 2012. It was not as good as 2008. And we don't know what it's going to be, but obviously because we've had big turnout in 2018 midterms and also in a bunch of the statewide elections in 2017, 2019, you know, there's a good reason to think this is going to be really high turnout this year. So if you go to the Brennan Center, which is an activist group, which is generally on the left, that they'd see the headline, voter registration has plummeted in 2020. You might be very surprised. You might gasp when you further read, voter registration has declined by an average of 38% in 27, in, sorry, in 17 of the 21 states analyzed when compared to 2016 registration rates. You might look at that and go, whoa, seven, 17 states had voter registration declined 38%? No. No, they did not. That is an extraordinarily misleading headline. 
What they what they say has declined 38% is not voter registration, despite the fact that they keep saying voter registration in the headline. What they mean is the rate of increase from January to August of 2020 is not increasing as quickly as it did in January from August of 2016. You know, so the rate of increase has declined 38%. The number of people registered to vote has actually increased from, from January to August. The other thing is, you know, Chad, help me out. Something big happened around March of this year. Wasn't there this, um, there was a little bit of news coverage about it, right? Something about people getting sick and... Uh... I heard. That's right, the coronavirus. I, I heard there was something <laughs> yeah. big. I've there not put my finger on it. going on. Yeah. <sighs> we should not be the least bit surprised that people are, you know, not registering to vote in the same pace of the first eight months of this year as they were compared to the first eight months of 2016, because in 2016, we didn't have a deadly pandemic going on. That's going to change people's behavior. Now, if you want to say, is it bad? Yeah. Okay. A lot of things about this pandemic are bad. Lots and lots of people dying is a bad thing about this pandemic. So the fact that people aren't going out and if they move from one place to another, they're not, you know, registering they're like okay 18 year olds aren't going out to register to vote as much okay that's bad i know legal immigrants getting their citizenship ceremony not aren't registering as, as fast as they used to okay that's bad but i'm not surprised and saying that the rate of increase is declined 38 percent is not the same as saying the rate it's that the number of people registered itself is down 38 percent extraordinarily misleading handwriting i uh, headline writing by the brennan center I've, you know, as many folks have pointed out, it's very tough to believe this is an innocent mistake. My suspicion is it's designed to create the sense of panic that voter registration is, you know, is down so much, but it's actually not. It's increased from four years ago. And we've had, you know, three years in which it was a very normal process of people going to register a vote and increasing at the normal rate. And then a pandemic hit and then it dropped. Surprise, surprise. So I, I deeply frustrating, deeply misleading. And uh, that's why I nominated it as the, the crazy martini of the day. Well, it was crazy. Here's your three martinis, the good, the bad, and the crazy. He's Jim Garrity. You can follow you, uh, of course, at National Review. Where else can they get you on the old Twitter there? Uh, at Jim Garrity, J-I-M-G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. Simple and easy. Follow me at Chad Benson, Showman for Greg Columbus. And uh, let's see, simple and easy. We give you three martinis every single day. That's how we roll. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks again, Jim. Uh, see you tomorrow, Chad.